0: Hey, fellas. How y'all doing? Fine. Doing fine, A T M. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, my pleasure. Welcome back. (laughs) Welcome back. We're running one day late. No big deal. They're never gonna know. And let me tell you, it's a good thing, because yesterday was National Dog Day. Oh, boy. And that wasn't (laughs) cool to read on National Dog Day, let me tell you. Oh, you're talking about the... uh...
1: Paul Lazaro's torturing dog. Paul Lazaro,
0: the only person that makes Roland Weary look like a great guy. A stand-up model citizen.
1: Yeah, he does make Roland Weary look a lot better.
0: Told you, he's just misunderstood.
1: Alright, well we are back to talk today about Chapter 6 of Slaughterhouse-Five.
0: Did you say welcome to sci-fi and fantasy read-along?
1: No, you want to do it?
0: Welcome to Sci-Fi and Fantasy Read-Along. My name is Phil. And I'm you all today. No, no, don't be me today. You don't want this this hardship I have in life.
1: Well, what can you do, right?
0: That's right. It's either that, cry, or talk about Slaughterhouse-Five. Let's talk about Slaughterhouse-Five, then.
1: You guys have any, like, I don't know, overarching impressions, things that you just kind of need to get off your chest now ahead of the discussion?
0: I like how every time they mention the guy who's going to get shot, what's his name? <laughs> Edgar Derby. It's like poor old Edgar Derby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like he, up until the moment he gets shot, everything's going for him. Like I don't know. He's uh, fit in comparison to everybody else. He's got a yeah. son who's doing great, you know, and all this stuff. And, yeah, well, there you go.
1: I had to look up what the Spirit of 76 painting looked like because I couldn't remember and like I didn't know if I ever knew and then of course once I found out what it was I was like oh yes that's the one and then I had to find out who was in the painting it's nobody what is it you should look it up so that you understand it like look at the image it's three people standing side by side on the left is a drummer boy on the middle is an old man who's also acting as a drummer and then on the right there is a third person who's playing a a fife or a piccolo or something like that, and there's an American flag somewhere in there, and they're marching, and they've they've won something to do with 1776, right? Independence Day.
2: Yeah, it was a symbol of patriotism.
1: Right. There's a point in this chapter when Billy Pilgrim, Paul Lazaro, and Edgar Derby are described as like an atrocious version of that painting, and so it's it's good to know what it looks like going in.
0: And those people look like weird versions of presidents already. You know. wait, 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 who's
1: the child? Which president well, not is the that? Not the
0: child, but um, the dude's like, you know, blonde. So you kind of think, you know, uh, Washington and the other dude's got a kind of Lincoln look to him. There's some freaky looking uh, cosplay presidents there is what that is.
1: <laughs> You're making an assumption. The artist's dad is the guy in the middle.
0: Oh, okay. Very good. <laughs> well what i'm saying is that's kind of like the look is what i'm saying
1: you know it's the spirit of 76 and we're <laughs> going to talk about it a little more later on right are you guys ready to get going yeah let's do it philip how you feeling
0: uh better i got
2: a little uh, 15 or 20 minute nappy poo
1: no goody goody prescribed nap time i'm you need that doctor
2: that and prune juice i'm, I'm doing okay
1: yeah, oh, good, good. Um Yule, you're good to go? Yule has warned me not to lean on him because his brain is muddled right now.
0: More than normal. I've just been burning a lot of candles and it's all store related.
1: Yes, at both ends. Yeah. Got it. All right, well, let's get started then, shall we? What happened at the end of last chapter? Do you remember where we were?
0: Yeah, Barbara was talking to him about his most recent escapade out of the house where he went to go practice optometry again. And he told a, uh, a widow and her kid that it's all right. Because, you know, if you see things in the fourth dimension, he's kind of like alive already still, you know, and, uh, it's kind of comforting. Uh-huh. Barbara came and got him and was like, what are we going to do with you? At yeah. 46. She wants to put him in a home. Do you think he'd know it? Know the difference? <laughs>
1: I mean, really? I don't. I maybe not. Maybe not. He does seem like a ding dong. He does, man. He does. At the end of this chapter, I was like, "What is wrong with you? What is wrong with you, Billy Pilgrim?" He seems
2: a, a little detached from reality, like constantly.
1: Yeah, yeah, he does. All right, so we pick up this chapter back in the it's called, it's not a concentration camp. He refers to it as an extermination camp for Russian prisoners. It's the morning after his morphine experience as it were. And he wakes up in the middle of the night and he feels like he calls it animal magnetism, but you are, you and I might refer to it as like somebody's staring at us and then we can tell, Mm. but he wakes up kind of in the pre-dawn cold, really, really cold. But that's not what woke him up. He feels like something's staring at him and he thinks it's a vampire bat.
0: Yeah, this was a little confusing. I mean, the words weren't confusing. I just didn't know what was really being got at with the animal magnetism. I mean, you you said what you said, but... Uh, yeah. And then later on when they described the other guy, you know, the, the blue, berry, whatever... I can't remember what it was. Blueberry? Uh, no, no I the, blue, the fairy I mean, godmother. <laughs> the blue fairy godmother. Fairy godmother, yeah. <laughs> okay. The blue, I mean, I Who like, has
2: oh. been named multiple times, but that
1: that's the only name given to him. He's, yeah, he's the blue fairy godmother. What?
0: That's how he's going to be remembered. So this guy is, like, just tripping balls still, even now.
1: Well, maybe, maybe that could go some way to explaining the animal magnetism thing. However, he gets, like, this message from, it's his coat. And like he does he goes through this elaborate like scooching away from it so that when he's turn when he turns around it's like it doesn't jump on his face or whatever, and then there's his coat that's hanging on the wall behind him, and it's that weird little impresario coat with the fur collar
0: isn't that like all ripped up and
1: it's got bullet holes in it, and somebody they had to chisel in that coat.
0: it out of like ice that was all the coats It's the one that everybody's like they're making fun of you by giving it this to you, yeah, 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 but he's like seeking it out. Well, it's sought him out is what it sounds like. Yeah, it says it was like talking to him.
1: Sending him messages. Yes. As it were. Don't try to figure out what these things are inside of me. (laughs) It's
0: just like that. That's true, but then later on, you know, it's an actual thing.
1: Already at this point, I thought it was the quote-unquote wedding ring. Sure thing. I thought so because I knew he somehow left Dresden with a diamond. But the, the other thing, the miniature horseshoe... doesn't know what that is
0: does he feel guilty for being able to take that back home with him while dude gets shot dude i I don't know is that his way of rational you know
2: well at this point it's i mean it's a coat from a dead
0: person there's i mean it's not like you killed Um, him it was given to him and it was to you know if you agree with that other guy that it was to make fun of him
1: I mean, maybe the fact that they let him have that one coat over all the other coats. Yeah, that might be them, you know, having a joke at somebody's expense. But somebody had to have the joke played on him. Sure. Um, And then he goes back to bed. And when he wakes up in the morning, it's uh, Lazaro is snoring on a bed next to him. Edgar Derby's on a bed next to him. He's in the hospital, which is just part of one of the sheds and he can hear the sound of like men hard at work <laughs> D- digging a new latrine.
0: <laughs> what was wrong with the old one? <laughs> they didn't clean up after themselves, I guess.
1: I think Vonnegut said that they had the British had abandoned it to the Americans. <laughs>
0: yes, was, I'm saying yes, that was that, that was a... Dude, they blew that up the other day.
2: It was just last night. No, they flooded it. This is also the scene where Lazaro goes on this uh, like vindictive and petty diatribe towards the blue fairy godmother, who he stole cigarettes from. He tried. I think he, he failed. He tried and failed, and the fairy godmother broke his arm. And, and it sounded like he didn't even try. It was just kind of like, I barely touched the guy. And then actually took the decent thing and carried him to the hospital to get you know fixed and patched
0: up. Well, that is the decent thing. It be. is,
2: but Lazaro, like I said, he's this vindictive little dweeb and he goes on this diatribe about he's gonna kill him one day.
0: He's always well, he says a thousand dollars in expenses for travel. Yeah, you can get anybody shot. Yep. And he's like the guy. Yeah, you know, everybody that's done him wrong is gonna get shot.
1: He's got a list apparently. And if you guys remember from chapter one, this was one of the things that the narrator of the book said that actually happened. Mm. That, like, there was a person in there who was threatening everybody. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I don't know. This, this guy reminds me of, like, this, like, wannabe, like, you know, teeny bopper, gangbanger, uh, trying to talk tough is what it sounds like.
0: Yeah, but if he did any of the stuff that he talks about, I
2: mean... The dog, your friend? The dog the part
0: dog? was enough. I mean, that's pretty sadistic. Yeah that, that, yeah, that
2: actually, I don't know if that happened, but it did sound pretty sadistic.
0: That was a rough one. I mean, it you was. Know, a that's, uh, that, above all the other stuff I've read in this book, is the thing I'd probably want to warn people of the most. And funny enough, I, I just kind of got past it. But, no, that's not a cool thing at all. <laughs> no, it's not.
1: But, I, I mean, okay, so it's building this this uh, image of Lazaro in our minds that he's, like, a, a really bad person. Like, you know, he's worse than Derby, like you
0: mentioned. Well, no, Of, not of Derby. course he's worse than, than Roland, Derby. Roland Weary, yeah. yeah. But the, Well, the, the thing is is that these those two elements mixed because while Roland Weary was dying in the boxcar, he was telling a story about who killed him. Uh-huh. And it was uh, Billy Pilgrim, and he's telling it to Lazaro. And Lazaro knows, and it says, like, you know, you're gonna get off, you don't, you're not going to get off. You're going to die. So you better live a good life. <laughs> you don't know when it's going to happen, but it's going to happen.
1: He does threaten Billy. He threatens Billy outright. and um, I, f- I flew. You did. You went past the part about Dresden, but it's not a big deal. It's, it's more of a reference to Lazaro, right? When Lazaro, like Billy Pilgrim is remembering back that Lazaro gets to Dresden and he doesn't have a thing against the Germans, he thinks that the bombing of Dresden was kind of like a little bit too much. And this guy, like we just got kind of pounded into our head how, how much of a POS this guy is. And even he thinks that the bombing of Dresden was not cool.
0: Interesting. Gotcha.
1: But Billy can confirm because he's seen his death many, many times. He knows exactly how it goes. He says he will die, he will have died, and he will always have died in 1967 on February 13th or something like that. No, 1976, February 13th. Yep,
2: Spirit of 76. I think this is the first time he actually talks about his death. Not only talks
1: about it, but says he's seen it many, many times. Oh, he describes it in detail. Yeah. (laughs) He describes the circumstances leading up to it. And this is the first time... That I have been satisfied that this is somewhat of a science fiction novel because what the world that he describes is like, you know, we—it's our past, it's our long past at this point, you know. This stuff didn't happen, you know, the balkanization of the United States into 21 smaller nations so they could never threaten the world <laughs> again.
0: Why uh, do you think that Vonnegut shows? I mean, when was this written? It was like '69 when it came out. Yeah, '68 published, '69. So. That's not very many years ahead of time. You kind of want to, like, put something at least a little farther out so it feels a little bit more, I don't know, science fiction.
2: Keep in mind, y'all, we went from, you know, in, like, 1961 to get, putting somebody into space to 1969, walking on the moon. And so the, the rate of our technological progression seemed enormous, like, exponential. And it has been, but maybe from the perspective of sci-fi writers at the time it was like, oh, man, this, like,
1: in my lifetime, we're going to be zooming around the galaxy. Certainly by 1976, the police had zap guns, and an assassin somewhere had a high-powered laser gun.
0: And he was hired by Lazaro too. That's
1: that's the implication. It might have even been Lazaro. He might not. Yeah, have been. that's
0: right. Because he lived close by, he says. He did
1: say that. Everybody
0: yeah. lives close by to Billy Pilgrim. Uh, no, no, no,
1: no. Billy Pilgrim had to cross three or two international boundaries because the United States had been broken up into little pieces. He was speaking at a oh, baseball packed baseball field full of under geodesic dome <laughs> in Chicago, which had been recently completely rebuilt because it had been nuked by the Chinese. Oh, well, he said the Chinaman. OK, unimportant.
2: <laughs> I just think it's a, it's a dated term. It's um, yeah, not cool.
0: Billy Pilgrim's speaking at a con- like a conference, or it's more than a conference, it's like all his fans, people that believe in what he has to say about space and life and uh, I guess maybe even time travel. He's telling them about how he's going to die by laser and don't <laughs> mourn me because if you are here and you are agreeing with what I have to say, you know that that's not something that you're supposed to take from this. You're supposed to know that, like, that's just a momentary part of my life. Doesn't he say, like, his his motto is farewell, hello, farewell, hello? Yes. Like, you're supposed to say that on the way out. I kind (laughs) of like that.
2: My old boss used to say that, and I never understood what the heck he was talking about.
1: Who was this, Larry West? Yeah, Larry West, yes. Larry West read this book, man. Yeah. Yep. Yep. You should uh, get a hold of him and let him know. I fi- <laughs> I finally Hello comprehend farewell. what he's been
2: telling me this whole time. Wow. Well, yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. It doesn't seem like he thinks it's a big deal. There. Yeah. I mean, I. It's to me, it was hilarious that he had an entire massive crowd of people coming to hear him speak. Like it was a packed baseball field.
0: Well, that was back when someone could write something and people would pay attention. Yeah, books were still important. <laughs> Yeah,
1: I don't know. I thought it was pretty, pretty great. Um, But sure enough, he gets knocked in the the noggin with a high-powered laser gun and killed. Capacity crowd at a baseball stadium. I mean, that's nuts. That's nuts. All right, so he ends up back in life in 1945, only one hour after being threatened by Paul Lazaro. They're heading to the theater. It's been handed over, I think, by the British. They gave over, like... I don't think they want anything to do with what the Americans have touched.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking, yeah. is that they've been just camping, like, in the theater or on the latrine and just going back and forth. And it's yeah. I, I just can imagine how nasty it is. Uh-huh. And so what did they do? They literally drew a line in the sand between the <laughs> British and the American sides of their little POW camp. And they yeah. didn't say it, but it's, it's clear. I mean, do
1: not cross. Like, we're done with you. They didn't have to say it. He understood it perfectly from childhood games or whatever. All right. So when they're when they're walking back to the theater, the narrator describes Billy Pilgrim as a clown, and he's not wearing that coat anymore. He's got it wrapped around his hands like a muff.
0: Well, like uh, like a Ja Zsa, Zsa Gabor or something like that. Uh,
1: I I always think of like uh, the fur muffs that you see in pictures of like uh, Bond villainesses.
0: Okay. Very good. Yeah, classy right? ladies. But I remember
2: it was either my mom or my grandma actually had one and kept it in one of those like you know those huge decorated boxes.
1: Yep. Yeah.
2: Um, but obviously fell out of favor. I did a little research on it. Obviously it was popular back in the day um, when people didn't have gloves, so it's only this made sense as a hand item, okay. not just as a, a statement of fashion. But it, it, right. it had a resurgence in World War II as being popular and. And
1: Billy Pilgrim had one. <laughs> hey, man, if your hands are freezing, too, you'll, you, you'll wear anything you can find. When they get into the theater, this is after the line has been drawn in the sand. And, of course, remember that the British are outside building a new latrine. And almost all the Americans are sleeping. They're like, close the door, I raise it in a barn. And so they do. And there's no free space except up on the, up on the stage. So they build nests out of the azure curtains <laughs> that are still up there from the night before. And then I think Billy crawls to find some badass silver
0: boots. The boots from uh, Wizard of Oz. Or Cinderella, I mean. Cinderella, yeah. I can't remember what we were watching. Yeah, those, those were
2: Cinderella's combat boots. <laughs> <laughs> and they fit him perfectly. What does that say? Uh, to me, it says there's a setup here um, about his boots or, like... I I don't know. It seems like there's a setup here, even just from the story or for for something else.
1: Something to do with Midnight or or whatnot. We're definitely, I mean, even in this chapter, it's being built up. Like right now he has an Azure Toga. He has a muff and he has silver boots, right? And he's already been described as a clown. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. This chapter was ridiculous. So it's while they're in there, everybody's trying to sleep again, and this British guy comes in to kind of give them a morale boost and to let them know how how much they should be cleaning up after them. I'm sure this is a response to the latrine incident. (laughs) Oh, yeah,
0: and not only that, but, you know, again, Derby's old, but I'm sure a lot of these people are really young, and they're 'er ne'er-do-wells also. Oh, yeah these people weren't they needed to get this lesson like you said.
1: I feel like they didn't get the lesson because they slept through the lesson for the most part. Right. They yeah. didn't even really pay attention to this guy who was trying to let them know that they need to wash their hands after they use the bathroom uh, they they should exercise, don't forget to shave etc.
2: Yeah but the whole like, point of this entire speech and I think it was very well done was one about this is this is what I did to survive and you might want to take my example well, his I mean,
1: he, he said that if you don't, you're going to die. <laughs> that was like his idea was that he's seen people who just let it let themselves go because they were depressed or whatever. Right. But they did. And they ended up dead really quickly. So, yes, this kept him alive. Um, but the good news is they're going to elect a leader for the Americans to help keep them mor- moralized, as it were.
0: Who don't even have like really any consideration for who they'd want to have be their leader anyway?
1: They did not nominate anybody. The right. British, the British dude, nominated Edgar Derby because he was older. Oh,
2: <laughs> <He does it. laughs> yes, that's right. Oh, that's I, I didn't realize the English did that. And then that's right. Then they're like, all in favor.
0: It was <laughs> like, like
1: two two people out of a hundred, maybe <laughs> three. <laughs>
0: Yay! I. <laughs> there's this part where he like supposes the narrator supposes what uh derby thinks in his head like writing home to his family there's yeah imaginary letters like, to his wife yeah. oh yeah we're doing really good we shouldn't be here too much longer etc cetera, etc cetera. oh by the way i was elected and then the trails off <laughs> yeah he's you know? like guess what happened today
1: <laughs> uh, that british guy also lets us know that dresden doesn't have any military industries and so it should be safe from bombing Oh, and they'll be leaving for Dresden really soon. As in, like, the next day, I think? No, I, I had
2: the impression it was the same day that he got up after his morphine trip. It's the very next day.
1: It said somewhere in there that, like, the, t- the day got warm. It became oh. balmy. Even. Oh, that's right,
2: because he had at least one night because he slept on the stage.
1: I thought it was the next morning, and they got pushed onto the train car, and that's when they saw the dead hobo frozen stiff, still trying to spoon anybody who would spoon with him.
2: Yeah. Yep,
1: and then they get on the train, and as Yule said, it's two hours to Dresden, and for the most part, the Americans have never seen a more magnificent city.
2: The city of Dresden was in a completely different class of city. It can't really compare oh, yeah. to anything
0: in the United States at that time. I would say, yeah, even it today, maybe so. And there, and again, there's no reason for it to get bombed. Y'all should have a very nice time
1: there. That British dude was like, I'm envious of you. I haven't seen a tree or a child or a woman or anybody doing work worth a damn for five years. He
0: even said food, you know, like good food. Yeah.
1: When Dresden is described, it's still a completely functioning city. It's a little jewel. It still has train cars. It still has open restaurants. There's still people bustling to and from work. And it's like the only city left in Germany that hasn't been bombed, according to the narrator. It's the last one. I mean, the lights still work. So there was everything. A, there was a zoo. There was, mm-hmm. yes. The descriptions of the architectural details. Like, if you go to Vienna, you will see stuff like this, where you've got the, I forget what they're called, the Am- Amori or whatever, the little cupids that string garlands between or over windows and stuff. It's a delicately chiseled city, essentially, from another era. And it's gorgeous. And Billy Pilgrim has only ever seen Indianapolis, Indiana, which is an ugly, flat,
0: Nasty little city. I didn't know we were here to make enemies of Indiana. Indiana. <laughs> the views of 18 Caruso are not the views of sci-fi and fantasy. Read along. You can tell him to kiss your ass, too.
1: No, I've got nothing against Indiana, but it isn't beautiful. And, like, I've seen Vienna. Vienna is gorgeous. And I that the description that we were given of Dresden, it fits what you see in places like Vienna. You know, just... Gorgeous little cities with built by people who care, you know, what they look like. Oh, yeah, the author inserted himself again here. This is what you were talking about earlier, Yul, when you said Oz. Yeah. What, what did I say? You said Oz because the narrator said Oz because he'd never seen anything besides Indianapolis before. So that's like the third time. I don't know. And Well, the whole chapter is one time, I guess, So the four. That's four. <laughs> right. They're debarking from the train car. Cars. I guess they went in four different cars instead of the two that they had arrived in. And when they get off of the train, they're met by eight soldiers who are a little nervous about meeting and having to rein in a hundred hardened American frontline soldiers. This is how they describe
2: yeah. them. Yeah, it's just like,
1: still, they were expected to
2: earn obedience and respect from tall, cocky, murderous American inf- inf- infantrymen
1: who had just come from all the killing at the front. And then they actually see them. <laughs> well, they see Billy Pilgrim, who is described as I have described him already, with the toga and et cetera and the silver boots. And then they see Paul Lazaro, and they described him as fizzing with rabies. <laughs>
2: and he's this tiny, ugly man with a broken arm.
1: Yeah. And then there's Derby, who is described as like having his head filled with false wisdom or something. Like, it's gone to his head already. Right? Being nominated by the British dude and like... Well, you uh, know, like um, knows like or whatever it is. He would have fit in with the British, but maybe he was alone. I don't know. So the the Germans laugh. They think it's a chuckle. They see Billy as that painting. Remember, he was described as an atrocious version of the Spirit of 76. And those three people are at the front of the line. They lead the parade into town through a crowded Dresden where people are coming home from work and et cetera. He ended that scene by saying, it's like, here was light opera. Oh, yeah. And I didn't,
2: I mean, I, and it sounded poetic, but I didn't get it.
1: It's entertainment, man. Oh, okay. They're dressed up. They're, they're wearing costumes. You know, this dude's wearing a, a blue toga, silver combat boots. A and, he's got a, and a muff. And a muff. And he's bearded because he hasn't been able to shave. So he looks like a, he looks ridiculous. And then, of course, while they're waiting to cross the street, they run across a surgeon who's coming home from work, who speaks English, and is offended by the way Billy Pilgrim is
0: dressed. Yeah, he gives him—he gives him a shakedown. <laughs> is this the part where he has the—he's the, feeling around in his muff? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Because, like, all, all, uh, all um, chapter long, he's incessantly been talking about this muff. Uh, and sticking his fingers in it, feeling around. I thought it initially was, you know how like your blanket falls apart and it kind of lumps up and and you have those little knots that kind of just get on it. I thought that's what he was kind of going for initially. And then he pulls out the diamond, right? Kind of like shows it to his face.
1: Yeah, that German guy is, uh, the German guy is berating him. Billy Pilgrim understands perfectly because it's in English and he just wants to please the guy. He doesn't like this conflict that's arising, so he pulls out the two items that were in the coat, puts them right under the guy's nose. It's a two-carat diamond and a partial. A partial denture, yeah. Which must have been made out of silver and pearl? Shell, perhaps? I think they were describing the colors, silver and pearl and tangerine. Well, you wouldn't sew that into a coat if it wasn't actually silver or gold.
2: Oh, you! Back in them. those
0: days, that was always a joke in the cartoons, if I remember correctly. Like, uh, Bugs Bunny is going out prospecting, and then Elmer Fudd's there also. Or Elmer Fudd's going out, and he runs across Bugs Bunny. And at the end, you know, Bugs will, like, pull out dude's tooth and hand it to him. Here's your gold. And he's, like, happy, and then he smiles, and we all see that he's lost a tooth. I remember that, yeah. Yeah. So, like, that's a thing. <laughs> but still,
2: I don't get this. It's, it didn't make sense. It's like he found this, and it's like he didn't even know what it was yet. And he just right pulled it out and then held it up under this guy, right at this guy's face, trying to be helpful. Well, I don't know what is going on in his mind or what his mindset is, but but if somebody, anybody, got like stuck their hand, put something in my face, I mean, I would res- slap it away, <laughs> probably.
0: <laughs> I'd definitely try to keep my distance. It was a little awkward. Yeah.
1: It was a little awkward,
0: and there's that whole um that whole part where they're talking about how he looks coming out, and and you know what are you uh, the German guys all what are you m- making fun of this whole situation that you're in, well, and and the narrator says that it's fate that has put him in all these things. He, you know, yeah, he did just, not
1: choose that. It was the only blanket available to him. That azure toga that he's wearing it was the only blanket that he could get. Those boots were the only boots he could get the muff was the jacket that he was issued like he he didn't try to do this like he was just floating through life and this is the hand that was dealt to him he was kind of under the impression from the beginning of the chapter that he shouldn't know what was in the coat and yet at the end of the chapter he pulls the stuff out and shows do you think he looked at it
2: no i think it's kind of weird but remember he's seen his entire life
1: he should already have known what that stuff was then yes yeah, I don't. I don't know what the purpose was. Shoving it under the German surgeon's nose.
2: <laughs> Weird. Yeah, and then he just smiled.
1: And that's it. That it didn't say anything. Just smiled. Yep. And then they are marched finally and completely into slaughterhouse Five. Schlutterhouse fünf. German's a funny language. It's a beautiful language. Yeah, sure it is. The language of opera, poets, physics. Uh-huh. Yeah, all all those things. That's the end of the chapter. You feel like it was pretty quick. This is a short one, huh? It was, yeah. But it got us to Dresden. I mean, we're we're now two thirds of the way through the book, and we got to Dresden.
2: By the way, that we just to describe it a little bit for everybody. I mean, it had been a slaughterhouse. That is true, but like all the all for the pigs, yes, pretty much all the animals, you know, had already been like consumed and processed by human beings long since past, and so this was converted to a barracks for these POWs, I
1: suppose prisoner work crews.
2: In other words, it wasn't like this abattoir of like filth and dead animals. It was it had been cleaned up and, you know,
1: whatever transformed into It's not an American slaughterhouse. <laughs> it's, it's a German slaughterhouse. That's right. Tidy and clean, right? <laughs> huh. Okay, that's it. That's the chapter.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was a little baffled at the beginning, but maybe it was just kind of working myself into the chapter. Some of the the phraseology
1: what baffled you?
0: I don't know. I think it was the whole animal, animal magnetism thing. And I just I, kind I of agree. like raced to the part where there was important information. <laughs> okay. Hey,
1: let's learn let's a little experiment here because I, I also was confused by the beginning and the end. And like I started the chapter confused and I ended the chapter confused. And then at some point, I also noticed that both um, they both began with that coat essentially. Or, you know they began and ended with the coat and the contents of that coat, and like the animal magnetism, which we found so confusing, had to do with the diamond and the you know, the the partial, which is what he shows to the German surgeon at the end,
2: right? I don't know. Yeah, I'm t- I'm trying to trying to discern uh, like a loop, maybe trying to discern deeper meaning or messages or any hey, sort. Don't of give up. Continuity. Don't give up
1: because it's difficult, right? Just run the thought experiments. I
2: like. I, I, I I am in my, my brilliant brain, um, has been incapable of finding in, any sort of coherency with these stories and random jumping back and forth. And that doesn't mean there is none there. It means that it's, it's very confusing. And I have not
1: seen any greater meaning or messages coming through this chapter, at least. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't get it. That's just the kind of thing I have to keep my eye on, you know, because I, I don't understand what's going on right now.
0: How do you say that word? Uh Fumpf? Schlachthaus
1: fumpf. I don't know. Take a look at your notes, see if there's anything you guys want to talk about.
0: Go take
2: a flying f in a rolling donut. Which I really liked that and I wanted to mention it.
0: Go take a flying f at the moon. Paula Zara. Stand up guy number one. Hey,
2: what about what is he was uh, when he was mumbling about all the women he was go- he was gonna make f him?
0: Oh yeah. I mean this is a rapist, killer, psychopath. Paying people to commit murder kind like, of guy. I, I, you know,
2: I didn't even want to mention that because I think it's abhorrent.
0: Well, that's why I didn't get too deep into the dog part, but, I mean, he's a piece of shit. If you look at it that way, like Etienne said earlier, you know, juxtapose it with, wow, well, even he thought this was some messed up stuff. <laughs> I mean, he basically put razor blades in a dog's stomach.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's pretty messed up. Oh, I got the... No, he said it was a spring, so they're like... It was
0: spring. I said basically...
2: But they're like hooks,
0: right? He said he sharpened them. Oh, God, yeah. Them. He
2: sharpened yeah. all of the little points, and so they're like little hooks. I don't even think it mattered. I mean, I just think
0: about my poor dog.
2: And then, like, food and muscular action would just, like, slowly rip those hooks through your intestines. Paul Lazara, what a...
0: What a what a character that guy so let's, is. So let's
2: bring this back. Yeah. Actually, remember how Roland Weary talked about how creative he was at torturing people? And Billy was like, "That's not even close to being creative." And then you get this Paul Lazaro that comes up with
0: something pretty creative and cruel on his own. And he's been in a zoo. He's a he's a member of a zoo at one time. Who was what? Uh, Billy Pilgrim. Yeah, he might still be there. I mean, that's not to some people that's uh, that's some callous stuff. Also,
2: being
1: put into a zoo
0: being yeah zoos in and, and
1: forced to uh mate with this incredibly hot actress. I doubt this actually happened, you know, for the the gentleman that I'm referring to, but there was a there was a pygmy that was put into a zoo in the Bronx, I believe. We kept a little a little dude, little tribal dude in a zoo.
0: Did he uh did he have um any say on whether or not he was gonna be in this zoo? I mean it's like hey, you know, you come to America or wherever And uh, be a part of our zoo exhibit of pygmies, and you'll be the only one. And you'll be like, and you'll take care of me, and I won't have to do anything except maybe whittle. Oh, it says there were several brought. Mm. Oh, very good. In 1904
1: to the World's Fair, but this one particular guy got put into the Bronx Zoo.
0: The Bronx Zoo. I hope
1: he wasn't with
0: any lions or anything. (laughs) His
1: name is Ota Binga.
0: Oh. That's kind of crazy. I bet somebody helped name him.
1: I don't know. Um, I'm glad we got to Dresden, personally. Finally? Yeah, finally. I'm also glad that we got to see a little bit of a description of it. It reminded me a little bit of of how Billy kind of was marveling about Germany in general, you know, walking around. You remember when he got captured, he was looking at the houses and stuff? when he was being traveled to meet up with the rest Mm -hmm. of the POWs and he was kind of like in awe of everything that he saw and this is when he had St. Elmo's Fire on everything. Seems like a repeat of that almost.
2: I'll tell you what, I mean, when they were describing
1: how beautiful the city was, I couldn't help having that sense of sadness already. Well, he already knows. He told us that he knows that in 30 days' time it's going to get bombed to smithereens. Well, we already know too
0: because that's how the book started. Right. And he also says that uh, the people that he's seeing in front of him—actually, he's not really looking at them; he's only looking at the buildings. But yeah. these people aren't going to be around either. So it goes. I like the "so it goes" that have a reference to something that's very not important. You know, like, oh, my remote control's out of power. So it goes. <laughs> that's such first-world <laughs> problems, man. That's Everything what that applies is. Once, you, uh, no. once you work that. Yeah, oh, man. He's, he's being <laughs> so pretty he serious about it. Yeah, and he's talking about schoolgirls. He's talking about schoolgirls at boiled. People...
1: Yes. Yes. I forgot about that.
0: Yeah, but if you say it for something that's as uh, meaningless as champagne being flat, as opposed to uh, the death of everybody in Dresden. The water,
1: the water was dead.
0: The water was dead, so yeah. it goes. Yeah how does one have any more weight than the other of course it doesn't he
1: doesn't have any control over that stuff i think that really for me that's that's the main takeaway for him he doesn't he doesn't think that he has any way of affecting the world until 1970 something or other when he starts going on the radio shows and like mm-hmm. became becomes popular he must have found his means by which he thought he could affect the world you know his vocation as it were
0: what does he say he wants to Uh, prescribe the lens for the world as an optometrist (laughs) yeah, corrective lenses for the world Yeah, (laughs) that must mean
1: something to him because that's the only thing he's actively done in the entire book he shuffles because people direct him to he's an optometrist because he was directed to do that this is the first thing that we've seen him do on his own, by his own volition and then put on the Visit Ausable Chasm bumper sticker he did that too he doesn't make many decisions on his own but this is the one that he made.
0: And we see a little bit of his death also.
1: Sniped. I wonder if that was Paul Lazaro or if he paid somebody to do it. I'm I'm feeling like it was Paul.
0: Maybe his uh, becoming rock and roll famous enough to fill a, a <laughs> uh, stadium was around the time I take notice of him, Paul yeah, said. "You Remember,
1: hey, that guy's on my list.
0: And not only that, um, I'm sure there plenty bucks. of people that were willing to do it anyway because this guy is probably a rabble rouser. You can't have this many people paying attention to this nonsense in the real world, right? It said that the cops
1: like volunteered to stay and protect him.
0: Like, hmm. yeah, no, they did. Go
1: home to your wives and families. It's fine if I die. Yeah, Zap. like they were that important <laughs> to him, right? He, yeah, he was that important to them.
2: I'm sorry. Yes, he was that important to them. Like they they really they're willing to die, take a bullet or a las gun for him.
1: Man, what a sci fi future, right? Laser guns and stuff. Kind of a joke by today's standards, but it's still funny.
0: If you uh, can set phasers to stun, does it hurt when you're put down by one? Probably
1: yeah. not. We're talking about the Federation, after all. Oh, yeah. Those Wouldn't bleeding hearts hurt don't want anybody. to do any
0: damage to any. Oh, no. You broke a bone. Paul Lazaro would be healed instantly.
1: Paul Lazaro, What a little monster. I love that he was described as fizzing with rabies, though, man. That really <laughs> tickled going. me. That was a beautiful description.
0: (laughs) Well, and we know that he's even more malnourished and messed up than Billy Pilgrim is earlier in in a previous chapter, I think.
1: Who have I seen at an animated TV show that was fizzing with rabies? Uh, Either Ren or Stimpy. That's probably true, huh?
0: Yeah. I never saw that show, though.
1: I'm thinking maybe Butters in South Park at some point in time. Being all he, uh, like, man, man, They
0: dressed him up like a dog because he got a morning star in his eyeball. Morning star in his eyeball? Not a morning star, a throwing star.
1: Okay. You said it, <laughs> not me.
0: I didn't mean it to you. It meant to <laughs> me. The look was to myself.
1: Oh, are you looking at yourself on the t- No. On the well, moderate? I'm always
0: looking at myself. I'm looking Isn't at you that- and I'm looking at it. Phil, yep. unfortunately. No, you're not. I'm you're not looking at, looking at Phil. <laughs> and uh, with that, I'd like to say thank you, everybody, for tuning into another episode <laughs> of Sci Fi and Fantasy Read Along. This was chapter six of Slaughterhouse Five, and we're really looking forward to getting at it again for the seventh chapter. Guys, you want to say good night? I do. Good night. Good night, all.